Hey everyone, I'm Brent Squires. And I'm Lauren Jubeau, telling stories of the famous and not so famous youth workers, the ideas they had, the ministries they built, and the bumps in the road along the way. You're listening to How'd They Do That. Welcome to the summer bonus episodes of How'd They Do That podcast. We're changing it up a little bit for the summer. Instead of airing our longer interviews, we're recording a number of shorter interviews that we are calling Summer Shorts. Yes, shorter summer episodes, but we're still talking to people from around the country who are doing great things in ministry, and we want to share those interviews with you. And we hope you'll feel encouraged and inspired by these amazing HTDT Summer Shorts. And we encourage you to not only check out our webpage at htdt.org, but to follow us on Instagram as well at HTDT Podcast. And we'd love for you to forward this episode to someone in ministry who you think could use a creative boost, personal encouragement, or even some ministry inspiration. On today's episode, we're interviewing Justin Herman. Now, you may know Justin from the Control Chaos Podcast and as our guest from HTDT Season 1. Justin was one of the presenters at a ministry event we held last March called Multi-Summit. Multi-Summit is for folks doing student ministry in a multi-site context. In this interview, Justin's presentation was called Teaching in a Multi-Site Setting. So enjoy this HTDT Summer Short. Um, my, name's, my name's Justin uh, Herman. Uh, yeah, it would have set a church up there, but I was let go from my church a couple weeks ago. Kind of sad, so we're going to talk about that for the rest of the time. Thanks for bringing the tissues. Um, I'm kidding, but I will talk about it if anyone has questions about it. I was working at a great multi-site church, which is a great church called Sandals Church, and I was there for nine months in nine campuses with plans to grow more and uh, and like a really like a really good plan to grow more, and uh, and it just wasn't a fit for me. And it wasn't fit for them either. We were both miserable. They were miserable with me. I was totally miserable with them. And, uh, and here's a couple of reasons why. My, I, my mentor, uh, uh, Kurt Johnston, this is some of the things I asked him, you know, before I do this talk, like, you know, a room of people who don't really know me. Um, Crab knows me from recovery and whatnot. But uh, other, than, <laughs> other than that, a room of people who really don't know me, what are some of the things that I should say about myself, you know, for them to get to know me? And here's a couple of things that he said. Uh, he said that, uh, re- you know, remind them all you're a great guy, which I am a great guy. Uh, remind them that I'm from New York and I have a bit of East Coast brashness that sometimes is misinterpreted as cocky or rude. All right, yeah, I don't, I don't get that either. Uh, that, uh, that I'm a hustler, I'm always looking for an angle, which again is true, there's stickers on your table, um, Control Cast Podcast. I'm loyal, I'm deeply loyal. Uh, I, the, t- I have a podcast, tell them about the podcast, because I'll talk about it anyway, so might as well just tell them up front. Um, that I'm teachable, I'm a learner, so I'll have a lot of questions for you. And a lot of this I'm gonna talk about, I don't even know, maybe it's completely wrong, and I reserve the right to be wrong. I like being wrong. Um, it's probably one of the best parts of my life. Uh, my wife always reminds me how wrong I am. And uh, I can be viewed as cocky, but it's because I'm from New York. He wanted me to say that twice. I have no idea why. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, that I have a great wife. Okay, I have an amazing wife. There's someone out here who loves me. Um, and, uh, and then I'm a really solid guy, but I have a big edge to me. <coughs> These are the things that he'd say to remind all of you of. Um, and all those things are completely true. And this is what we're going to talk about today, okay? We're going to talk about, oh, there's my cell phone number. Crab gave his, so uh, I gave mine. Uh, this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, it's going to be this first slide. It says, uh, oh, yeah, these three men. 
what do these three men have in common here? If you can take a look, that's, uh, that's worship leader Matt Redman, okay? That is uh, celebrity attorney Michael Avenatti, who was actually just indicted on federal crimes yesterday, kind of dicey. Um, and that's uh, Lakers great Kobe Bryant. What do these three men have in common? Let's see here. Hmm, different races, different faith backgrounds probably. Uh, what do these three men have in common? These are three of my former parents from Mariner's Church, and all three of them had ideas on how we should teach. Uh, I had all three of their daughters, Matt Redmond's son in my youth group, and all three of them at one point sat down with me and shared their thoughts about teaching with me, what we could do better, um, how we could be more effective, and, and how we could help you know, students retain the knowledge a little better. And Matt Redmond, I actually took notes when he was talking. Uh, Michael Avenatti, I was trying to take photos. Uh, Actually, that's before he was a big deal at all. So he was just some guy. He that I saw him on the news one day with a porn star. I'm like, I'm like, isn't that like Michaela's dad? I was like, what, what's the Michaela's dad doing on TV? And then the whole thing went sideways. And then Kobe Bryant, obviously, I did I did take photos with him. It was awesome. But here's the thing: when it comes to teaching. <laughs> When it comes to teaching, everybody has an opinion on teaching, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be the next slide. Uh, we're, today we're going to talk about teaching in a multi-site setting, and because uh, here's the thing, and I really, really believe this. No matter how we run our ministries, everybody expects us to teach. Okay, it's just a part of doing the job, right? You're a youth pastor. It's like, well, you should be teaching. Now, some people hold that really loosely. You know, they're willing to not teach. It's not the most important part of their job. Some people hold it very strongly. It's like, well, no, I, I got into youth ministry because I want to teach God's word. You know, not, not because I want kids, you know, life change. Not because, you know, I, I want to be part of a team collaborative setting. Not because, you know, I want to, you know, you know just, I just want to meet kids and they're hurt. It's because I want to be up on stage because up on stage, that's when the real stuff happens. When the lights go down and the mic goes up, that's when a youth pastor gets to shine. Now, listen, I've worked with youth pastors like this at one point in my life, I was a youth pastor like this. I thought the, the best stuff that I can bring, I'm going to bring when I'm at center stage. And I thought that for so long. And then when I got into a multi-site setting and I started to look from a different perspective, all these different campuses and how we operated and our pursuit of a standardization. So you know, our context was a, a, a franchise setting type church that we wanted one church and we wanted it in multiple locations. So we gutted buildings and redesigned everything to look like our main campus, uh, all of our programs we wanted to match. Um, and we had a huge standardization document that went through every aspect of our ministry and our goal was to train our you know youth leads and staff in the standardization so that no matter what campus you went to and we had a lot of students that went to different campuses different nights their friends or whatever um, that there, there would be this continuity the standard of, of that look and feel and experience at our campuses so I started to think of teaching differently now here's the thing uh, these are some of my ideas uh, these are my views, my thoughts, and I could be wrong on all of this. I welcome the fact to be wrong on all of this. This is what I want to talk about today. I want to take a look at a couple questions that I started asking when we started developing our teaching model. What are we teaching? Which is a big question, multi-site. What are we teaching? Do different campuses have the opportunity to pick what they're teaching? Do we standardize what they're teaching? What are we teaching? What are we teaching? What's the focus of the night? Um, how are we teaching? Who is teaching? And how are we gauging and assessing the quality of our teaching? 
Okay, so if, if anyone comes and you know, your boss or you know, some parent and, and they have questions about teaching, it's usually some, any of their questions or other staff members, any of the questions, thoughts, frustrations they have is birthed out of one of, typically that I found at least in the experience I had, uh, was out of one of these questions. Now, there's a lot wrapped up in all these. I had staff I'd sit with and talk through, um, you know, who's doing the teaching. And it wasn't just because they were curious. It was because there was a deep insecurity that they were being replaced by, you know, someone that their kids didn't know. Uh, they were being replaced by a video that was impersonal. Um, you know, I talked to parents, and their, their concern was that their kid wasn't actually being taught anything at all. That the person on stage just sucked. They just weren't good at teaching. Some people aren't good at teaching. Some people are bad at teaching. Some people are not wired as teachers. That's okay. I mean, it's probably more okay um, in the multi-site setting than any other setting in the church. Because if you have a video-driven model, you can have people that are just relational and shepherds and all those feeling emotions that don't come with my personality type, but that are just, you know, over in abundance in other people, you know, very soft people, people, you know, that, that are, you know, caring and emotional. You seem like one of these guys already, you know, smiling out of a discomfort. Like, I, I don't have that. Like, I, that, that doesn't exist with me. I wonder what that's like. But so all these, all these questions. And so I, I want to go through these. And again, th this is not like the, oh, I'm going to take notes. And like, this is, I'm just going to go back and do this. A lot of this is just ideas and thoughts and thinking, a little, a little bit of a stream of consciousness. Um, but then I'm going to, we'll do Q&A. And, and then I'm around. And I actually love talking about this um, because this is very tactical. The purpose of this is a very tactical look and how we execute what we're doing in a student ministry across multiple campuses. It's not emotional, it's tactical. And that's what I like. I like to live in that world. So let's take a look at this first one. I want to talk through uh, what are we teaching. Now when it comes to teaching, like this is one of the mo maybe most important things. Uh, because it's setting the content of not only what they're getting from the stage, but most importantly what they're going to be getting in groups. Now this to me was the most important question before we answered any other question. Because every question that we would start discussing of who's doing it and how are we doing it and, and you know, if it, it, we're going to get some of that. But it all started with this. Because if we decide we're going to do curriculum, it gives us a freedom to go a lot of different routes. If we're going to do curriculum, then we can give our campus leads curriculum months in advance, depending on what curriculum you use. You look at, think of the Grow curriculum, which I'm a big fan of, Orange curriculum. We could download all of that and sit with all of your campus youth pastors or volunteers, and you could go away for two days and go over every single lesson, talk through in detail, give them videos, because there's videos and recordings that come with almost all these curriculums. You know, DYM gives you the freedom to piece your curriculum together, so you get a room of youth pastors together. What do you guys want to teach? Well, I want to, I really feel that like God's telling me that we should teach about, you know, empathy. Like you go on DYM, oh, I got eight series on empathy. Let's buy this one. And, you know, so it gives you freedom where orange and grow is kind of locked in. So you can get away and you can talk through a whole year of content before they ever deliver a single message. You can talk through everything. So it gives you flexibility. You can give it to them weeks in advance. You can have meetings about it that go month by month by month and talk through it. But if you decide to follow along with what the big church does, you are completely shackled by um, what they are deciding to teach uh, and what pace whoever the teaching team at your church does. So if they go at a pace of planning only a series ahead, you're only ever able to plan a series ahead and make things really difficult for us. Now, here's the thing. I'm a big fan uh, of teaching and following the big church. Here's a couple reasons why. Um, so parents can talk about it around the dinner table. That's a, big, this is a huge one to me. 
And I know a lot of us would think, you know, well, we'll just give them kind of what we're talking about and the whole thing and, and you know, email it to them or hand it to them. And it's like, totally, it totally works. But, but here's the thing, parents lose stuff and kids lose stuff and people don't get emails. But if, if the goal is that we want to be able to teach this, and our belief was this kind of family ministry, family ministry centric content, uh, to be able to give content that they can go home and talk around the dinner table, that changes the whole dynamic of how we're teaching. Because then it's not just solely relying on the teacher on stage. It's not just solely reliant on the small group leader to drive home this content. We're actually really setting parents up really to win because they're talking about what they just heard pastor whoever talk about and then they know their kids getting the same thing. Um, leaders have a deeper knowledge of the content. You know, the, the, I think it's so wild sometimes. We have kids sit through two or three sermons a week, but we ask adults to sit through one. And typically we'll have adults go through that content that they sat through in their groups. It gives uh, the adult leaders a chance to know that content even deeper before they go into time with their students. And then students and leaders will go deeper in their own groups. That idea that we're not just doing a youth ministry, we're doing this holistic multi-generational ministry that's allowing everyone in the church to go a little deeper into that content. See, you know, it gives small group leaders and parents a chance to talk about it from a different angle. Gets you know, students the opportunity to hear about it from, you know, their perspective, the student perspective, and have uh, leaders talk about it from the student perspective, but then have it get drilled home a little more from the parent perspective. Now, here's the thing, I I'm pro this, so just kind of know that, but defining what we're teaching, what con where the content's coming from, is the most important thing. Because every other question, to me at least, starts right here. What are we teaching? If we don't know what we're teaching, um, if, if we don't know how we're exporting the content, um, then we're not going to know, um, how, you know who's teaching, how to you know, deliver the content, so on and so forth. So I want to take a look at the, the second question. What's the focus of the night? So I did surveys uh, you know, when I was at Sandals. The surveys to me is like one of the best, biggest things that you can do. Uh, I, I love doing surveys. And, and we asked parents, uh, leaders, parents, and students, uh, a couple very simple questions. And these are the simple questions. When your student, we ask parents, when your student comes home, what's the number one thing you hear them talking about from a Wednesday night? And then we had a list of five different things, fun, you know, the fun, the games, friends, teaching, groups, um, there's one more, uh, you know, hangout time, and we had parents fill it out. And the number one thing we heard was groups. That was the number one thing they talked about. And then we asked parents, what's the number two thing you hear your kid talking about? And that one was split um, between hanging out with friends um, and it was worship. Uh, worship when we have, we didn't have worship at all our campuses. Teaching was by far dead last, ranked dead last. We asked the same thing of students. Uh, when, you know, after a Wednesday night, what's the most memorable, what's your favorite part of a Wednesday night? And groups was the number one thing by far. Teaching was dead last. And what's the second favorite thing? It was, you know, fun and games, worship when we have it, you know, hanging out with friends. Teaching was dead last. When we went over this, this, the survey results with our staff, they were completely shocked because it was a culture where they thought the, the most, the biggest value they could bring as a youth pastor is from the front of a stage. And this data, it was not, uh, it was not subjective data. It was completely objective. There's no emotion to this, which is my favorite kind of data. Completely objective data, okay? So there's no emotion to it. They were completely shocked. They thought their kids will, they, they, they would love my teaching. I'm funny and they know me. I'm their youth pastor. But the data told us something completely different. 
So we started you know, defining what was the most important, what was the focus of the night, and to us, groups was the focus of the night, and that was the focus of everything. So then it started us kind of motivating some different kind of questions, and here's some of the things we came up with. So here's some of the things. Students will remember relationships and experiences, not lessons. We started to drill this into the staff. Maybe a little bit too hard. It's, Probably why I'm not there anymore. But we started to drill it in nonetheless. That, that, that relationships and experiences are more important than lessons. And for them, this, this was just blowing their mind. Uh, and groups are about students and volunteers, not us. Uh, and some of us don't like that. And it was just an honest thing, an honest thing that we could openly talk about. You know, when it came to defining what the focus of the night and deciding that it was groups, I, I heard some youth pastors talking last night about groups being the focus of their church. And I love that. <coughs> Because groups are the focus. I look back at my years as a youth, and I can't remember a single lesson. Uh, um, who's the guy? Uh, Ken. Uh, yeah, you know my, my youth pastor from when I was a kid. Ken, he works at your church. And I don't remember a single lesson from Ken. He's a great guy. I don't remember a single lesson that he ever taught. But I remember some of the great experiences that we had. I was sharing one of those with you. Uh, because kids will look back, and they're not going to remember specific lessons, they're going to remember experiences. Now, we don't want to tell ourselves that in the moment, and we don't want to tell our campus youth pastors that in the moment, because they, they're, it's exciting. You get up on stage, this is your campus, this is your group, and, and you know, we, you know, just like the senior pastor, this is his church, right? So he's up there teaching, and he's, he's kind of laying his fingerprints on the ministry by teaching and being like that, the order of the church, the, the vocal leader of the church. Um, but the fact of the matter is that when it comes to students, uh, that we only have a few years to accomplish our goals. Only a few years. If you do junior high through high school, you get maybe six, seven years to accomplish your goals. Senior pastor gets from like 18 to the day they die to accomplish their goals, okay? It's completely different. So we, when we look at our goals, we have to really structure to succeed at our goals. And if we define groups as one of the most important parts, we have to structure to groups. So then we start talking about how are we going to teach? You know, this is one of the, the hardest conversations to have. Most people have always grown up doing live teaching, you know, you write a lesson, get a mic, get up there, you know, bring your A game. There's different ways of doing teaching. You know, video, you know, do we do everything via video? You know, do we record everything beforehand? You know, there's many different ways to record video. We record it all beforehand and we export it to the, the churches and we let them, you know, kind of be the host. I don't know if anyone uses video in their adult settings. We, we did at Sandals. And so our campus pastors were, were like the hosts that were kind of, you know, getting everyone ready, you know, welcoming everyone and kicking it to the video. And the you know, video is short, then leading out of the video, um, and, you know, into, you know, merging that right into group time is what we would do. And you know, there's a huge change for people. Some people hate change. And some people think it's really impersonal. But when you look and say, well, if the teaching time is not the most important time of the night, if groups time is the most important time of the night, then our whole purpose of teaching is to set up groups. And if we knew that it would only take us eight minutes to set up groups by sharing a couple ideas on a video so that we could spend even more time in groups versus, um, you know, the, so, you know, you start talking and then you get distracted and then the story goes a little long. And then the, the thing that's suffering um, isn't your lesson. Your lesson becomes the rock star moment of the night. And the thing that actually is suffering is, is group time and kids in groups. And that's the thing that's suffering. That's what we're taking away from. Um, when you start to look at it that way, then it makes a lot of sense to move to video because then you can, you can, you can control, you know, hold it, everything closely. You can, you know, architect everything. You make sure that what they're getting, the points they're getting leverages every bit of the group's content. I mean, that's a huge change for people. Or maybe you just, you know, cut teaching altogether and you put everything in groups. You set group leaders up um, to have the entire discussion to present for five minutes about what we're going to talk about today to watch a video on their phone or, or this thing called 
YouTube. Have you heard of the YouTube? I don't know how to say it correctly. It's YouTube. It's really incredible. It's an online thing with videos. And so maybe we put videos up there and we actually let kids watch it themselves on their phones. I'm like, gosh, this is so insane that kids would watch videos on their phones. Or maybe we do groups in homes and that's what they do. They do groups in homes and they watch this video uh, at their home before they start. Group is blowing my mind, right? And we're going to completely decentralize things. So maybe we only come back to the campus once a month for kind of the big all together thing. And the rest of the time they're doing groups because groups is the focus. Now, you start to go down this road and like everyone starts freaking out because, you know, they, they love live teaching. It's how everyone does it, right? It's how they've been doing it. Most youth pastors that you get from, you know, churches that they're the only guy, you know, th- that's what they do. They, it's just kind of expected they, they are a good teacher. But not every youth pastor is a good teacher. Some of them are completely terrible. And that's okay because they're incredible at other things. And that's all right to say that. It's totally right to say that. And when you know that groups are the most important part of the night, it changes the way you start to structure how you do the teaching. Now, here's the thing uh, you're going to see up here. Live or video, you know, who would do the teaching? Who's teaching? Live or video? Campus youth pastors can do teachings. The volunteers, students can do teachings. Senior pastor can do teachings. Campus pastors, any awesome speaker. You know, when you do video, it opens you up for a whole different set of options. See, because actually then you can bring in a student, you know, and give them the chance to be in, in leading in front of their peers if you, you know, make that part of your culture. And then you don't have to do it all in one take. I, I'm, I like doing things in one take. I'm a one take kind of guy. But you don't have to do things in one take. If you have a student and you can work with them and they mess up a little bit and you can go back and then, and then you're taking, a, you know, from what they record 15 minutes scaling down to the best eight minutes. And yeah, it takes time. And I know you might be thinking, well, who's going to do all that work? I don't have the answer to that. That's for you guys to figure out. But then, man, but, but imagine what the outcome of that looks like when students are watching one of their peers teaching a lesson. You know, there's some, some of the most incredible speakers, you know, we could, never just, we could never just figure out the schedule to get some of the most incredible speakers to our church, right? But we could maybe figure out getting them to come to our church for a day or two and crush out four lessons on video. And then, you know, we have, over the next couple of weeks, we have some world-class teachers who are just delivering stuff. And then it's not about any one person at any campus. It's not about the central team. It's about, like, you know, we got Bob Goff coming in, and he's just going to kill it and just do, you know, record for one day you know, these, these short seven-minute little thoughts, and we're going to build our curriculum, you know, around that. You know, or man, you know, the senior pastor, he, what an incredible world-class communicator. And you know, we're going we're gonna to talk to him and share with him the vision of the next generation. And we're going to get him to come in on a Friday or on a Monday after he's gotten done teaching a lesson to get in front of a video camera or an iPhone and just give a scaled-down seven-minute, eight-minute version of the lesson he just gave. Or you just get the recording of what he just gave, uh, and you take that and you cut that whole thing down to seven minutes. And now you're letting the senior pastor, the leader of your church, be the vocal mouthpiece for your students. Yeah, I think the, one of the hardest things in multi-site uh, is students knowing who their pastor is so that when they get out of high school, they are actually moving to something else. You know, they're not just moving into ambiguity and anonymousness, um, but they're moving toward a person, toward a place. You know, live, in, uh, live in video when it comes to who's teaching, you know, this is a difficult one um, because then you start to ask the question of, all right, well, if we know kind of who's teaching, um, then we start to ask, uh, you know, how are we gauging the success or assessing the quality of the teaching? Because not every person's a great, you know, teacher, communicator, you know, so how are we gauging and assessing the quality? You know, because we want to put the best person up in front to, to help move the content forward to set up groups. Again, if, if, if we're defining groups as the most important part of the night, 
The purpose of the speaker is to drive groups towards success. So if the purpose of the speaker is to drive groups towards success, if they are, are inefficient in delivering the content, if they are um, uh, uh, foggy or uh, uh, unclear uh, in delivering the content, if they're more distracting, if the, the distraction moments or how they discipline from the stage or how they just are constantly just reading from the page like this because they haven't figured out how to move away from the notes yet. Like if, though, if that's how teaching's experienced, it doesn't matter how good games and group are, uh, the, usually that we remember the highest point of the night and we remember the lowest point of the night. And if the lowest point of the night continuously is the teaching is just so boring. I don't know what he's talking about. And then I get into groups and I don't know what he talked about. So I don't know how to have discussion over something I don't know what he talked about. You know, that, that's a whole, that's a chaos, right? So how do we assess you know, in, in not a personal way, but in a very open, very just transparent way, how do we assess the quality, um, engage the quality of the teaching? Um, define who's making the assessments to me is the first thing. Who's actually doing the assessment of the teaching? Is there a teaching team at your church? You know, at Sandals, there was a, there was a, a teaching team uh, and, and there was a guy, a couple people actually, who were the ones who assess all of our campus pastors. So there'd be, we did video driven, and there were weeks our senior pastor wouldn't teach, and those weeks that he didn't teach, the campus pastor was able to teach. But if a campus pastor sucked at teaching, they didn't let him teach. So, and that was a really painful conversation. Imagine being the campus pastor, and all the other campus pastors getting to teach, but they told you that you're just not good enough, you just don't have the skills for it yet. These are the things you need to work on in order to be approved to be a teacher. That's a painful thing. And I wasn't part of that for the adults. But then we found out for the, the youth team that there was absolutely no assessment process, that they were, just, they were just letting them teach. It was just whatever. And then when we started actually assessing with teachers, they're like, oh my gosh, th that's not what we believe as a church at all. Like, it, we, and then we talked to him afterwards. And he's like, yeah, this is just kind of my theology, what I believe. And we're like, how did you even get this job? That's most in, what you're saying is the most insane thing we've ever heard. But we, we realized that there's actually no assessment process at all in place for our youth team. So it starts by defining who's doing the assessment? Is it the same assessment process as the, you, the adult church has? Are, are you, as the, the, if you're a central team, as a central person, they're kind of positioned to do all the assessment, all the coaching, all the training, all the developing? Are you going to bring someone in, an outside party, to, to listen to X amount of lessons and to give feedback and give assessment? Um, is it going to be a kind of a, a little group of some parents and some church staff and some other people to, to listen to and assess? However you figure it out, figure out who is doing the assessment. Um, surveys are key. Again, it's not emotional. You send out a survey and ask parents, uh, you know, with the students and volunteers, what they think about teaching time, how effective it is, uh, you know, how that helps leverage into groups, which that really is the focus. And you just do a one to five ranking. Um, I, you know, I'll, if, you, if you want to see some of the surveys we've done, I can send them to you. Unlike Joe, I'm not going to make you beg for them like, like animals, okay? I, I, want to, I want to give them to you as a friend. No, just, yeah, well, you should all, always do that, but you can just email me. Just email me, I can send you some of these questions. But they, they, they're not rigged questions, they're broad, but they're meant to get to a certain goal, which is assessing how the teaching is being experienced. So we do these surveys, and for us, we did them every two months throughout the entire year, because we wanted to keep data fresh. You know, you survey once a year. You know, typically surveys, you're, you're gonna get people, if they, if they even fill them out, they're, they're usually, if something happens, some big thing happened, then they, they feel like they can take out all their frustration on the survey. And so then you're 
data gets kind of wobbly. When you do them th consistently throughout the course of the year, you start to see a trend in your data when you're looking at how long people have attended and, and gender and you know, amount of you know, kids in the family and, and what school they go to, what grade they're in. You start to see some trend lines take place um, when you do it over the whole course of the year. Um, weekly assessment surveys were really, really big to us. Um, we had uh, a weekly assessment survey that all of our campus, we had nine campuses. So you know, I was the only one on the central team in my role. So I had to get an idea what was happening at all of our campuses. So we had a little you know, Google form that they filled out at the end of every service to just let us know what was going on. And then we had a second one that we had volunteers fill out. And we had specific volunteers at every campus who'd be the ones to fill it out. And the whole, everyone was, it was open, it was transparent. The whole goal was that we're all getting better and refining the product that we're giving to our students. Um, and the last one is recording an assessment. This is really, really easy. Um, we asked campus youth pastors to just set up a phone have themselves recorded when they give the lesson if they were doing live teaching and then send it to us. And if they didn't send it to us, then we're gonna take a break from live teaching until we can get back into a rhythm. And then they send it to us and we're gonna watch it and, and give some feedback. Doesn't mean that you know if it's you know if it's really, really, really bad, maybe we need to take a break. Um, but you know, if it's just giving feedback and, and tips and ideas, it just helped us keep that conversation going. Because again, if it, there's no assessment process in place, then how are people getting feedback, getting development, so on and so forth. So we built that all into our kind of regular structure, regular strategy. Um, so those are the five questions we looked at. Those are the lenses in which we looked at some of them. Um, that is uh, the end. We're deep in preparation for season three of HTDT, and we'd love to hear from you. Who do you want to hear from? Who should we have on, as a season three guest? Hit us up via our webpage or social media, and we'll do everything we can to bring your request to our show. Brent, what's the webpage? It's www.htdt.org. That's HTDT, as in how they do that. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please give us a five-star rating and review so we can continue to keep more great episodes coming. And special thanks to those who help put each and every episode together. And a very special thanks to Garrett Atkinson of GDA Productions for providing the music for this podcast. Until next time, this is Lauren Jabot and Brent Squires answering the age-old question, how'd they do that? <laughs>